Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me once again for episode 17 of the Adventure Games Podcast. Firstly, apologies for no episode last week. But myself and Tomas, we really wanted to record, but we had some technical issues. So hopefully we'll be back again next week because there are quite a few games that we want to talk about and review that we've played. But in the meantime, in this episode, I speak to Jennifer from Nyam Nyam Games as she talks to me about her games Tengami and Astrologaster. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with everyone. But first I wanted to talk about some adventure game news as always and there's quite a bit there's quite a bit of adventure games announced and released and some news so i'll get through it as quickly as i can and so first i wanted to talk about first of all another adventure games podcast so it's point and click an adventure game podcast now on may 24 2019 the episode 25 was released and this seems to be Maybe the last episode of this podcast, because the, the host, Tony, he is taking a hiatus from this podcast. And for those who don't know, who haven't listened to this podcast, just in this podcast, Tony t- talks about one adventure game, usually the older classic games, but some newer games as well. And he talks about the background of the games, he talks about the studio, he talks about the state of the adventure genre at the time. And he talks about different versions that the games were made in, and everything you want to know about the games. And then he gives a talk-through about the games. So he talks about Leaders with Larry, King's Quest, Broken Sword, Beneath a Steel Sky, and some LucasArts game as well, Monkey Island, Dave the Tentacle. And then at the end, he ranks the game in his own preference. So it's uh, I really enjoy this podcast. It's really fascinating to look at the adventure genre and adventure games, and I've learned a lot about the adventure games so it's very sad to hear that he's taking a hiatus but i can completely understand he puts in a huge amount of work so uh i would definitely recommend that people listen to it and also to get in contact with him and let him know that you appreciate the time and you enjoy the podcast and also why not give him a review on itunes because in my opinion he really deserves it so looking forward to what you're doing next tony can't wait to see what you do in future and best of luck and so we go from sad to troubling news that telltale games now on GUG are being delisted so from now on you won't be able to purchase any telltale games on GUG uh, it's not really surprising but it's still very sad to hear that and so uh, so games uh, like you know Wolf Amongst Us and um, you know, Game of Thrones and all won't be able to be bought on GOG. Uh, hopefully, though, in future they can be once again uploaded. Now, also, this has started a debate online about digital stores and you know whether they're actually good or not. And it's also I also heard that Minecraft stories, even if you downloaded those games, that you still 
possibly might not be able to play those games. So again, there is a debate going on about who owns the game. Do you actually own the games when you download the games? Uh, so hopefully in the future the games can be played again because it would be a real, real shame uh, for future generations of gamers not to play Telltale games because Telltale went out of business. But every cloud is a silver lining, and 2K, the developers of uh, Borderlands, they have told Eurogamer that they are working to get Tales from the Borderlands back up on digital storefronts as soon as possible. So hopefully, as I mentioned, we can get to play those games again in the near future, but for now, uh, it looks like they won't be on GOG. Now, some better news. So I just want to talk, first of all, about games that have been announced in the past two weeks. And the first game I want to talk about is Brass Heart. Now, Brass Heart is a point-and-click adventure game set in the alternative 1920s. And this is a dieselpunk game. So this world is ruled by robots. Now, in this world, uh, Professor Zagorski was kidnapped by his own invention, a rebellious supermachine called Valkyria. This powerful engine gathered a loyal army and relentlessly pursues the goal of mechanizing and militarizing the whole world. It is governed by cold calculations, and all those who oppose it will be in danger. So, uh, however, his daughter, Pola Zagorska, who you play as, he has left her some clues, which include parts of a mechanical heart scattered all over the world, so you need to set off on a journey, find these mechanical hearts, and try and stop the sinister machine, end the air of mechanical terror, and save her father. Human progress has its own rhythm. Each new age brings forth its own genius. Brilliant technologies born out of science and creativity. But sooner or later, the darker side of progress will emerge. In hindsight, you should have seen it coming. The turning tide. My father meant well, of course. He did not plan to create an instrument of war. But I can hear it now. The rhythm of this century will be the sound of the beating brass heart. So the developer said that when they started working on Brassart, their goal was to tell a story that was broad in its scope, but at the same time intrinsically per personal. So the developer is Hexy Studio. They have included images and screenshots of the game, and it looks beautiful. It's a 2D kind of cartoony graphics, very detailed. They've also included a teaser trailer of the game. And it's their first game, and they're hoping to release it in 2019. And it's already gone up to close to the top of my list of games to play when it's released. So I'm really looking forward to when it's released. And I'll share more as I find it. So that game again is Brass Heart. And coming out for now, late 2019. And another game that has been announced recently is Willie Morgan. So the story is, Willie Morgan is at home enjoying summer holidays. It's been 10 years since the mysterious disappearance of his father, but 
one day he gets a letter and in the letter he it says dear william if you receive this letter my mission was not successful you must go as soon as possible to bone town to the old inn all starts from there in the heart of a friend's place so now D willie has grown up without his father and so he now is very surprised to hear seemingly from him no trace no clues about his father he seems to have evaporated from the earth so he sets out to bone town to try and see what has happened to his father and the story takes off from there so this game is a first title from imaginary lab it's a third person point and click adventure game and the studio wanted to recreate the dreamy atmosphere and the desire to explore what has always characterized the adventure genre but they also want to use new technologies. This has beautiful cartoon 3D graphics and with a streamlined and straightforward game style. And so they've released a teaser trailer which shows the locations of the game, the town, and uh, shows the technology that they're using and the graphics. And it looks beautiful. And you can also see screenshots of the game on their website as well. So. That game, there's no release date yet that I could see, but it will be available in Italian, English, and German. So that game again is Willy Morgan. And now next for something a little bit different, a game called The Complex. This is an upcoming cinematic FMV sci-fi thriller for PC and console. So the story is, after a major bioweapon attack on London, Two scientists find themselves in a lockdown laboratory with time and air running out. With over 100 interactive choices, you will attempt to escape the lab with several different endings that are discovered based on your decisions and your relationships with other characters. So The Complex is a female-driven production written by Lynn Rene Maxi, part of the Emmy Award-winning writing team from The Handmaid's Tale. The interactive movie stars... Michelle Milet, who appeared in Letterkenny and Bad Blood, Kate Dickey, who appeared in Game of Thrones and The Witch, and Al Weaver, who appeared in Grantchester, and actors also include Twitch streamer and Xbox UK presenter Leah Vizen. So as I mentioned, this game has several different endings. One story is completely live action, filmed in England, and is directed by Paul Rashid. So this game will be coming out in quarter one 2020 on steam ps4 switch and xbox one and it certainly looks uh, like it has very good production values at least so you can see some uh you can see some screenshots as well and find out more about it on the developer's website now another game for all of you fans of animal detective uh adventure games uh, this seems to be a whole genre by itself so uh, another game in this particular subgenre is called Chicken Police. So yeah, so you play as two veteran rooster detectives named Sonny Federland and Marty McChicken. They were once legendary detective partners, but time has passed them by. Sonny is a burnt-out alcoholic ex-cop who spends his days in an abandoned hotel while Marty hides behind the facade of a star detective but slowly he's losing himself. Now they're back together again on a case bigger and much more dangerous than anything they've ever encountered before. So the game takes place in the city of Clawville, 
where you need to venture into the darkest depths of the city in pursuit of a sinister case. Chicken Police is a classic noir adventure, which, uh, which has dark humor, adult themes, and a very, very dangerous animals. So it inspired us by the film noir movies of the 1940s, and the game uses a unique type of photo manipulation technology mixed with modern 3D design and contemporary visuals of old cinema. So there's no specific release date yet, but they're hoping to release this game on well, PC and consoles and Switch as well. And you can sign up for newsletter to receive the latest updates on their website, chickenpolice.com. Next, I want to talk about another game, this time called Summit of the Wolf from the developer of the Stonewall Penitentiary. So in this game, the story is that after falling asleep in a warm bed one night, 12-year-old Ophelia wakes up in an ethereal garden with no memory of how she got there. After speaking with a mysterious goddess named Adina, Ophelia sets out on a personal journey to find the fabled summit of the wolf, whereupon she must uncover the tragic real-world events that led to her arrival in this fantasy realm. Will Ophelia complete her quest, or will she succumb to the many dangers she must face along the way? So in this game you explore a beautiful fantasy world with over two dozen characters, all with their own distinct personalities. Uh, you experience a complex narrative with challenging puzzles which are organic rather than obstructive. And you also must uncover the truth in a 15 plus hour interactive story. And no release date yet that I could find, but it's coming soon. You can wishlist the game on Steam and you can sign up to the developers newsletter to find out more about this game as well. Next we come to another game called Angelo and Demon One Hell of a Quest. So in this game you play as a young lazy bum who wants to be a blogger and so in this game the Grim Reaper makes a mistake. He goes to your apartment by mistake and he takes you to hell, literally. So in this game, you need to literally escape from hell and meet other characters there. And so you see some screenshots on the website as well. It has, again, really nice two, uh, 2D cartoon type graphics. They also have a trailer as well. And there is no real release date yet, but uh, developers have said that well, there are some addictive puzzles, there's some funny dialogues, and they included a warning that there is a chance you will like hell and won't be scared of it anymore. It's also nominated for Excellence in Narrative and Best Indie Game in the Moscow DevGam Awards. So that game again is Angelo and Demon, one hell of a quest. So looking forward to finding out more. Now for something a little bit more old school, so for all you... Sierra fans out there, and there are probably a lot of you. If you would like a game in the style of Laura Bow, well, you're in luck. Because Julia Minamota is currently developing a game called the Crimson Diamond. And this game actually appeared on PC Gamer last week. And so in this game, you play as a geologist detective named Nancy Maple where you visit the town of Crimson in Ontario to get to the bottom of a mystery relating to a precious diamond. So this game as well, it's a parser game, so you need to type in the game as well. It's combined with uh, point and click as well. 
So again, if you like old style adventures, um, you can download the Crimson Diamond demo, see if you like it as well. And she's currently developing it. You can also see a trailer on her website as well. And yeah, so you can also read the PC Gamer article about it, see what you think. So again, it looks really interesting, looks really nice, and kind of going back to the adventure genre's roots as well. So looking forward to finding out more about this game. And intriguingly, uh, Gearworks Production, who are developing David Slade Mysteries, and uh, they will appear on this podcast in a future episode, they have announced a new game that they're working on. It is called Mind Trap. It is a four-part story-driven episodic adventure, escape the room game in a tradition of the 1950s Twilight Zone. So a teaser trailer is coming soon, and they have also said that they will be launching on Indiegogo soon. So that was exclusively revealed on the Adventure Games Podcast Discord. So if you want to hear more announcements like that and find out more Adventure Games, why not join the Adventure Games uh, Podcast Discord? Uh, The link will be in the show notes as well. So we don't know much about this game yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I, I spoke to the developer as well, and... Again, he seems to know what he's doing, so I'm looking forward to this game and his other game, David Slade Mysteries, as well. Now, so uh, I want to talk very, very briefly before we get to the interview about some games that have been released. And we start with Draugen, which has just been released. This is from Red Thread Games and Ragnar Tornquist, who, of course, made The Longest Journey and Dreamfall and Dreamfall Chapters. And this game is a little bit different. It's a first-person, single-player fjord noir tale of mystery and suspense. And it's set in 1920s Norway. So you play as Edward Charles Harden, an American traveler searching for his missing sister. You're accompanied by a young ward named Lizzie. And you explore a remote coastal community in Norway, nestled by fjord and mountains. And you uncover the darkness that lies beneath the picturesque surface. The water's cold. It's a fjord. You're not going swimming. Boo. You're such a wet blanket, teddy bear. You know I don't like it when you call me- Edward! Edward Charles Harden! So, do you think we'll find your Betty in, uh, what did you call this village? Gravewick? Grovik. She's there. How can you know for sure? I just do. In her letter, she wrote about- But that's months ago. She could have gone anywhere. Betty's here. I know it. I feel it. Something drew her here. Where is everyone? It's like a dead land. As though its soul has departed. Her scarf. I'd know it anywhere. Lissy, there's someone outside. It might be Betty. Edward. They murdered a child? What does that say? God forgive me. We will find her. Betty's fine. She's a tough cookie. Tougher than you, teddy bear. I dreamed of Betty. She was in the garden, and she called for me. I'm not alone. 
So this game is available now on Steam for Windows PC and GOG.com for Windows PC. And it's coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, uh, hopefully in 2019, but, uh, well, coming soon. So again, the game looks beautiful. It looks incredible. It's already got some very positive reviews online, so you can check it out as well. And another game, another first-person game, is called Pathologic 2, the sequel to Pathologic. So this is an open-world survival thriller that is set in a town that's being consumed by a deadly plague. So you face the realities of a collapsing society as you make difficult choices in seemingly lose-lose situations. The plague isn't just a disease, you can't save everyone. So you also need to look after your own body in this game as plague gradually takes over you as well. So you need to upset hunger, thirst, exhaustion and so on. And so again, it looks very interesting. It looks from first glance to be similar to, to Long Dark in terms of looking after your own body. And it's gotten some very positive reviews as well. So you can check it out on Steam now. And next we have yet another hero story. I spoke briefly about this game before. This game is out now. So uh, in this game, you, it is set in a fantasy cartoon world and a noble lady has been abducted and only a hero can save her. That hero shouldn't be Mar Martin McNish, but life has an odd sense of humor sometimes. So it's your task to help Martin become a hero. So this seems to be a cross between Monkey Island and Quest for Glory. And it's a comedy adventure. And as I mentioned, uh, it is out on itch.io, but it will be available in Steam later this summer. And finally, an older game which has been re-released is Humor Jack's Ring. So this is a first-person first uh, FMV adventure. So you play as Jonathan Hunt, a journalist from New York who arrives in the city of Eager in Hungary for a break. He has local ancestry and speaks the language, but this is not the only motive for his visit. In the heritage of his great-grandfather, the Globetrotter Professor Samuel Hunt, he found two letters dated back in 1898. The letters were written by Professor Avery, an apparently lunatic Hungarian scientist about a time machine he claimed to have been working on. The references point to Eager and Hunt want to find out what happened to the man's preposterous inventions. But he soon realises that someone is desperately trying to stop him. So you need to interrogate people in this game, you need to look for realistic solutions, you need to investigate, you can enlarge objects and make documents readable, uh, you can combine objects and you can make notes it said that this game is best to, that you make notes as well so this game again is humor jack's ring it's available on steam and it's by private moon studios so that is it for adventure game news this week it's uh quite a lot there more so than usual but i want to choose some of the new some of the games that have been announced and released and i hope people can enjoy at least some of them and so now, uh, for the interview, I spoke with Jennifer from Nyam Nyam Games, and it's not often that I can say that I spoke to a developer of a first-of-its-kind adventure game, or any game for that matter, but this game, I think I can safely say that, because a few years ago, Jennifer uh, released a game called Tengami, and it is, as far as we know, the very first 
of its kind. It is a uh, fold em up. So you literally fold up the scenery in the game and use that to solve puzzles and advance in the game. And so Jennifer spoke to me about how she implemented that in her game and uh, why she did it and how you can use it to solve puzzles. And she also spoke about her latest game, Astrologaster. It's a comedy adventure game set in Shakespearean England. And it looks really, really good. And I can't wait to try it for myself. So with that, here is the interview. But first, here is a trailer from her latest game, Astrologaster. Please enjoy. Mr. Foreman, you have been called before this assembly of the College of Physicians to answer the charge of practicing medicine without a medical license. What have you to say in your defense? Uh, well... In 1592, I saved the lives of countless Londoners, curing them of the plague using the very latest innovations in medical astrology. Since then, patients have come to me seeking treatment for their medical problems. To advise them, I find answers in the stars. I have many patients from all walks of life. And I think you will find, sir, that they are most satisfied with the quality of medical care I provide. It is only a matter of time before I gain my medical license. But I am not a quack, sir. I am a true doctor. <laughs> Silence. Constable, shackle this man and take him from hence to jail. Uh, but, sir, uh, pray afford me the chance to... Uh, unhand me, you rogue. Thank you very much for joining me for the Adventure Games podcast. I am with Jennifer who's going to hear talk about her games Tengami and Astrologaster. How are you, Jennifer? Hi, I'm great. Uh, Thanks for having uh, me on your podcast. No worries. Thank you for joining me. I'm delighted to, uh, to speak to you and I'm looking forward to finding out more about these games. So uh, before we talk about your games, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and then let us know what your favorite adventure games are, if you have any... <laughs> I'm a, uh, so I've been professionally making video games for 13 years. I uh, started out in a AAA working for a Japanese company in Tokyo called Acquire as a programmer slash designer. And after some years, uh, I came to the UK to work at Rare and Connect Sports. And uh, around the time that we finished working on Connect Sports, the first iPad came out. And I saw that as an opportunity to uh, start my own independent studio and make um, high quality, uh, you know, kind of like games uh, for not exclusively for mobile, but basically for iPad. And the first game that we, so the company is called Nyam Nyam, uh, was founded in 2010. And the first game, our first game is called Tengami. Um, and then recently, just actually at the beginning of this month, uh, we released our second game called Astrologaster. Uh, I think my favorite adventure game is a really a hard question because I love adventure games. <laughs> uh, it could be, it's probably Riven. I know everybody says Mist, but I thought that Riven was actually uh, kind of like solved a lot of the problems that Mist had. Um, I also, I really loved the, uh, you know, growing up, I played a lot of the Sierra adventure games, uh, Space Quest, 
and uh, especially Kia yeah, Space Quest and King's Quest, especially. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, f funnily enough, uh, Alistair Beckett King mentioned that Riven was one of his favorite games as well. So, <laughs> so you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to play those games. I think I, I tried playing Myst before, but I was I was very young and I didn't really understand what what was happening. So I you know I didn't finish it, but I have it at home somewhere. But I have read the books, so I don't know if that makes me you know unique or strange or something to read the books but not play the games. And, uh, and I think the, the uh, books are fairly standalone. They don't really mention like too much the events in the games. I've read the books too. Right. Okay. And how how did the books compare to the games? Do you think the books did it, did the games justice? Because the game is very much about like exploring uh, kind of like I don't know alien alien cultures and figuring out how their technology works in a way. I don't think that the books can do it justice, but the books do a very good job at giving you more, I guess, more of an insight into the the people that make up this culture because in 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 riven and mist the you know the worlds that you visit like don't have a lot of people or you never really interact with the inhabitants right so i think they they um you know they com they complement the games really well and that's right sense. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I haven't played the game, but the games. But when I read the books, I I wasn't lost. I was able to follow the books and the stories, pre, uh, pretty pretty much. Uh, so I think that's a testament to the to the books at least. But as you mentioned, the games seem very different. That uh, it's about exploration, and there's not much, if any, character interaction to resolve puzzles, find out how things work. But later on, I found out that a lot of people were inspired by the Myst game, that including J.J. Abrams, I believe, was inspired when he was writing Lost, which was a surprise. <laughs> so probably the, clo the closest we'll get uh, to a Myst TV series is with Lost, <laughs> I imagine. But hopefully someday, you know, I hope because it's, they're still popular. And so have there, are there any recent adventure games that have you that you have played, that you've liked, or have you been too busy working in your game? <laughs> so I have to say, recently I find it hard to qualify, like, to, or hard to define what qualifies as an adventure game. Like, would you say that, for example, Her Story is an adventure game? I, I haven't played, but from what I've seen, yes, I, I, I would. I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean, because now the genre kind of, like, expanded and there's different types of games, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was covered by adventuregamers.com so I, <laughs> okay <laughs> but no I, from, from what i from what i uh, i mean you, you can tell us more about it then so what what, uh, what what did you like about this game uh i mean in her story i really like the kind of like you know uh, piecing together the story by watching these uh, kind of like these video snippets and uh, depending on the kind of like the search keywords that you used uh, you you uh, you get to see more or less of the story. So I did really like her story. Uh, also, eighty days uh, was definitely one of my favorites. Yes, I've, and I, I believe that won the Time Magazine Game of the Year in twenty fourteen. Yeah, which... it did. 
I'm looking forward to playing Heaven's Vault. I think Heaven's yes. Vault definitely classifies as an adventure game. I haven't played it yet, but it's on my to, it's on my immediate to playlist. Yes, yes, no, my, myself as well. There's so many games to play, but yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. It's hard to say what what an adventure game is because it's we have the you know traditional third person point and click games, but now we have different types of games that. Uh, you know, that really don't have maybe any particular genre and um, that look kind of, you know, experimental or, you know, very different and unique. And I would say from what I've seen, your games probably could be classified like that as well. They certainly look very unique as well. So, um, but yeah, uh, so then I was wondering then, so you mentioned that you started your own studio to make games for mobile and I'm just curious, where did the, the name of the studio, Nyam Nyam, correct? Mm -hmm. <laughs> where, that, where did the name come from? Because it's, I, I love that name, but it's a, again, it's a very original name, but I'm just curious, where did the name come from? <laughs> it's, a, it's a fantasy word that I came up with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't actually explain how I came up with it, but it has something to do with uh, that, uh, you know, I lived in Japan for four years. And in Japan, they have a lot of sound words. So, for right. example, um, uh, Nyan Nyan is Miyao. But you also have stuff like Zaza. And Zaza is, for example, um, like really strong rain. And then you would have Pots Pots, which is kind of like just like a dribbling rain. And so okay. I, wanted, I wanted something that's cute and that's more of a sound or an emotion rather than a word that means something. Well, I guess that answers my question. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, are you uh, the only one in the studio? Do you have any other people working with you in the studio? So right now, Nyan Nyam is a, a one-woman studio. But wow, okay. I, don't, I don't make games on my own. So I, usually my process is, um, you know, I, I come up with uh, kind of like concepts for games that I want to make. And I see if I, if I can kind of like find funding, if I can find the money to make these games. And then I assemble a team that's like, uh, you know, project specific, kind of like trying to find the best collaborators for a given concept. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you mean like uh, graphic designers or artists, or I believe it, with Tengami at least, uh, you work with a music composer as well for, for the music. Yeah, everybody really, like technical directors, artists, writers. Right, okay. Uh, well, would you mind uh, letting us know more about your first game, Tengami, then? Because I remember when this game was released back, I believe, 2015. Uh, so what can you tell us about this game? Tengami is an uh, atmospheric adventure game that takes place in a Japanese pop-up book. And you're controlling um, a little paper figure and you are walking at a very slow pace through this very beautiful looking uh, Japanese paper landscape. And every so often uh, you arrive at obstacles or puzzles that you have to solve by flipping and folding parts of the pop-up book. So the idea for Tengami basically came from... Um, so Phil, Phil Tossel, who's the co-creator of Tengami and I... We were talking about what, like, what type of games work well on iPad, and I mean, it wasn't just us, but there were, you know, a, a number, a number of developers at the time that figured out that basically games 
that uh, give you, that allow you to manipulate the world are suited uh, best for touch. Um, and the reason is because, you know, the screen gives you kind of like that feeling that you are reaching into a world and you're manipulating a world. And kind of like starting from, from this idea, we arrived at uh, pop-up books, which are, you know, these physical toy books. And as you're turning the page, there's like, a, you know, there's like with every page that you turn, like there's like a new scene or a new world that appears. And it gives you this real sense of wonder um, when you see the paper structures unfolding and that you're a little bit like, wow, you know, how can, how can something that's so ordinary as paper, you know, do something that's like so, so beautiful and magical. And we wanted to capture that sense of wonder in Tengami. Um, and obviously the pop-up book, uh, you know, this physical, uh, this, this physical toy is very tactile and it's very suitable to this idea of I'm using a touch screen to reach into a world and manipulate a world. Right. Yeah, not, uh, definitely. As you mentioned, it, it, it looks magical and as you say, like it's a probably simple concept, but it, it looks, you know, basically, first of all, pop-up books. Uh, when you just open them and it's like the worlds come alive. But when I first saw this, I when I first saw the game Tengami, I thought, wow, this is certainly very unique because I can't think of any other game that looks like this, that is a pop, you know, as a pop-up book. Do you know of any other games that uh, that use a similar concept, you know, of a pop-up book? Or is, is this the first game that, you know, <laughs> that you're aware of? I'm pretty sure that we are the first and <laughs> most likely the the only game that uses actual uh, actual pop-ups because you know the technology that powers the game is our is our proprietary technology. Uh, okay. Phil, Phil, Phil Tossel, uh, who was also the technical director on Astrologasta, created it, and it's okay. really it's also it's the first of its kind technology that allows us to build uh, digital pop-ups. And these digital pop-ups behave exactly like their paper counterparts. Uh, so it's basically a pop-up book simulation. And we, we've looked around, on, uh, you know, for a very long time. And we were like, oh, sh surely somebody must have already solved this problem. But actually, there isn't. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that we are the only ones. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I, I can't think of any other game like it either that's uh you know if, sure if you go on google pop-up games and well I, I don't know they might come up with this or they might get, give you a completely wrong answer as google tends to do <laughs> <laughs> but um and now i know you want you mentioned that you came up with the idea of this you wanted a magical uh, experience and if, first of all i'm guessing that you came up with the idea set in japan based on your experience living in, in japan would that be correct or so no. the uh, the uh, <laughs> it's a it's a good assumption, but not entirely correct. Okay, uh, that, once, that's once fine. We, <laughs> once, once once we had once we had settled on the idea of the pop-up book, um, obviously the paper that you use in in your book, the paper that you use to make the books really important, and so we had a look at a number of. Um, you know, like what kind of cultures like do interesting things with paper. And uh, it's definitely, you know, uh, like China and Japan, uh, 
because you have like all of the, the beautiful origami papers, for example. But they also have a real tradition of um, hand making paper. You know, paper making paper is a real craft, but also folding is a craft. Uh, they make yes. a lot of, you know, they make a lot of beautiful boxes and decorations uh, that you can sell and uh, that you can buy in the shops. So there's like a real, you know, like like a real paper craft tradition and history. And yeah, because I think everybody on the team kind of like loves Japan. So then we were like, yeah, definitely we're going to use Japanese paper and it's going to be a Japanese story and a Jap you know, a Japanese environment. Okay, yeah. Um, again, even just the setting, you know, in, in this in Japan as well. I don't know many other, apart from maybe anime games or games, but at least other adventure games set in Japan and certainly not with pop-up. And what what is the process like? So making a pop-up in the game itself using, as you mentioned, the proprietary engine, was that was that challenging in any way since you had no other games to base it off of? Or, or how was the process? Um, yeah, so in the beginning, we tried kind of like working with paper. But because of the nature of the kind of like pop-up uh you know, technique, if you're making a small mistake in the folding, uh, the, the pop-up doesn't work. So we threw away this idea and we started to make a kind of like a digital tool. It's a, so we are using a, a, um, a 3D modeling a software called Modo for which Phil created a plugin that allows us to really quickly put together uh, digital pop-ups and once we had that, um, there was a lot of experimentation, you know, with the scale of the world, with um, kind of like, how do you make people understand that they can, you know, open and close this and in which direction. Uh, so, yeah, it was really challenging because we had nothing that we could look at and we kind of like had to make up <laughs> basically everything on the spot and just through a lot of iteration. Right, yes, yeah, so tri trial and error maybe in a URL and see what works and then, uh, you know, see it, you know, then add it to the game. So, and and so then you mentioned that, you know, you know puzzles in the game were with the pop-up as well, so with the folding. And uh, so can, uh, what can you tell us then about the puzzles? So what, in maybe a bit more detail for, to try and, for people to try and picture it. Um, so, for example, I think probably, um, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite, quite difficult to explain actually but if you imagine making making that you're kind of like in a in a mountain area and you're trying to navigate your character through these mountains and they are they, you can flip you know several parts of the book to change the mountain path and like we did we did we did uh, we did things like that or, for example, information is hidden in between the pages. So when you're folding something, you need to fold really slowly so that you can find the hidden information. Stuff like that. Okay. Like they're yeah. not they're, the the puzzles are not super taxing. It's more, I would say, casual casual puzzling. But yes, yeah, so it's more you know exploration as well, and then uh, using the using the technology, using the pop up fold technology to. Uh, be able to find out what you need and to be able to explore the next area. That's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
and um, so 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 then you know when you're c- coming up with the puzzle, so how do you how did you come up with uh, you know the the different types of so you know again trying to have uh, you know a good variety of the um, of the puzzles uh, was that in you know did, did you come up with ideas did you brainstorm any ideas uh, with the team uh, to have you know different types of uh, puzzles with the fold up or did you again use trial and error or how did you come up yeah it? I mean there was definitely you know brainstorming and but also looking at okay what is the pop-up good at and what is it what is it not good at mm. and yeah so we did like a lot of kind of like you know talking with each other about the things that we wanted and making little like screenplays you know this happens here and then if you do this it opens up that area you know and then you're going on a little boat and then this happens so yeah it was very collaborative sure for sure okay okay that's that's good to hear and then uh looking you know as as apart from the pop-up aspect the, the graphics you know even you know without the pop-up aspect as well the, the game still would look really nice um now the pop-up adds to it of course but uh so how how did you so for people again who who obviously with the podcast you know they can't see or haven't seen uh how do you describe the graphics first of all it's, it's, is it 3d that you uh, use, or is it 2d so it's definitely 3d but you're because your character is a little paper man it looks like you're it's a flat paper man it looks like you're walking uh, through the world in 2d so the world kind of looks like 2d i guess if you just looked at a screenshot but if you're walking through it and if you're starting to fold things i think you you realize that it's all 3d mm-hmm. the art style is uh, kind of like a uh, if you imagine a water a water a watercolor style it's like a watercolor gradient with very limited uh, with very limited colors so I think we have three levels in the game, and the first level is of kind of like a forest at night, and it's it ha- it has these very kind of like beautiful blue hues, you know, like a vo- a beautiful watercolor gradient. Right. Yeah. And then the second level is a uh, you know what we call the mountain <laughs> level internally. It's kind of like it's a is a Japan in autumn, which is basically the red leaves which is why the level is primarily red. And then the last one is the ocean level, which is kind of like a green and yellowish. And so basically in the game, it's almost it's a game that's made with almost only one texture per level. Um, because we found these, be- we uh, licensed these beautiful um, Japanese papers. And there was one in particular that was really striking um, that we just ended up using, I think, in all three levels, just with different colors. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I know that it definitely, at least from the screenshots, as, as well as it looks nice, there's, as you mentioned, there's a good variety that you're going through, you know, the mountains and the forest and then in the ocean, you know, and the boat as well. So also variety in, in gameplay as well, like with, you know, as you go by, by land, by uh, by sea, by by mountain, by and um, and h- how long did it take uh, you to to make the game? Uh, three and a half years. Wow! So 
uh, a long time then from the concept to to release date. Yeah, simply because the technology didn't exist. Um, I think making the technology took between one or two years. And then we had to kind of like, you know, figure out on the go, what can we actually do with this technology and then put it all together. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, again, uh, it's, you know, it, it, I think the results certainly speak for themselves. It looks really impressive then as well. And then in the in the Steam page, you mentioned as well that the composer David Weiss uh, well, composed the soundtrack. Uh, so what can you tell us about the music? What type of music can we expect from the game? Yeah, so David Wise, uh, we used to work with him at Rare. And I think he left Rare a couple of months before us. And uh, we talked to him about our project. Um, and he said that he wanted to be, um, you know, that he wanted to be involved, which we were obviously super excited about um, because he's amazing. And then I think he was really, he was looking, you know, at Japanese period instruments. So I know that we, that he used a lot of uh, shamisen, which is kind of like similar. You can call it like a Japanese guitar, but it only has, I think, four, three or four strings. And it's, yeah, it's all instrumental. And it's uh, kind of like very Japanese inspired, but you can definitely, like, if you're a fan of, you know, fans, if you like David Wise because of kind of like the Nintendo music that he made, uh, you can definitely hear that in Tengami as well. Okay. Yeah. And it, and did he compose all the music in the trailers? Yes, he did. And it's, okay. So that's a taste of what to expect then in the, in the full game. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, the, the f final thing about this game is that, on, again, on the Steam page, it says that everything that is seen in this game can be recreated in real life with just paper, scissors, and glue. Uh, have, have you tried this yourself? Have you, did you make the, the pop-ups yourselves in the studio? Mm, so I hired someone to make three signature pieces. So the, red, the scene was a red tree, uh, the wolf that you meet at the beginning, and then the, the, Jap the red Japanese gate that's also in the forest level. We had that made uh, you know, by someone who's a professional pop-up book artist. And uh, they actually these pieces have been in uh, on display in galleries. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I still have them. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, it's it's true. It's not a. <laughs> I have proof. <laughs> I proof oh yeah, no. <laughs> so so you have proof. You can you you can let people know. You can take photographs. See, see, we we can do this. <laughs> and and did did did, uh, did they? Is there any chance that they sold the, any pop-ups? Or did you think about maybe including this as a pop-up book itself, or is it just in a game? Yeah, we thought about it, but so with pop-up books, uh, they need to be handmade, mm. and uh, it's there is a the minimum number that you need to buy. You know, like if you were to manufacture them, is quite high. And it's quite a, it's quite a, um, I don't know, it's a big, it's kind of like a big money investment. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And then, it, and then you, you need know. to store them somewhere, right? You need a warehouse. I think we were quoted that at, at a minimum, you need to make 2000 of these books. Wow. <laughs> so I would, yeah. I mean, I would love to have a pop-up book made for Tengami and also for Astrologaster, but it's just one of those things that does, you know. Yeah. It's not very feasible so, if you're just a one-woman studio. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's you're not, uh, you know, like Ubisoft or someone <laughs> who, but uh, but at least at least we have it in, in the game as well, you know, because as I said, it's first first of its kind from from what we can see at least, and so so then this game is available. Uh, where would this game be available? Uh, on uh, on uh, the App Store uh, and on Steam. Okay. So it's available on iPad and iPhone and on mm-hmm. Steam for PC. And is it available for Mac and Linux as well? Uh, it's for Mac, but not for Linux. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned there a few months ago your next game, Astrologaster, which was released earlier this year. On, uh, and, and this looks, again, really, really interesting. <laughs> uh, so what, what can you tell us about this game? Um, so Astrologaster is... Um... It's in many ways quite different to Tengami. So Tengami had almost no text or kind of like... So basically Tengami was all about visual storytelling. And Astrologaster is all about, um, I guess, narration by voice acting, singing, and, and you know, reading. So Astrologaster is a, more like a storybook. It also takes place in a pop-up book. And uh, it's a comedy game. Uh, you know, if you're thinking kind of like um, Monty Python's Black Adder, that was like a big inspiration for us. And it's a comedy game that's uh, t- that's set in Shakespeare's London. It's based uh, on the true story of a man called Simon Foreman. He lived uh, from 1592 until 1609, I think, in London, in the borough of Lambeth. And he uh, fancied himself a medical doctor, but he couldn't afford to go to university. And uh, so he eventually set up shop as a a self-taught medical astrologer. Okay, (laughs) as uh, you do. (laughs) His uh, medicine was neither better nor worse than those of the other doctors because back in the day nobody knew anything about medicine <laughs> and uh, but what is uh, what makes him important <laughs> is that he kept patient records and he left behind the i think the oldest and the largest set of uh, medical records which uh, him and his kind of like disciples together is a set of 80,000 records. And these records are housed um, in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And about 25 years ago, a woman, uh, you know, a professor of history and medicine by the name of uh, Dr. Lauren Cassell, she um, started uh, kind of like studying and figuring out what these were. So the books... Is, uh, if you look at them, uh, Simon Forman's handwriting uh, was terrible. You can't, you can, al- you can almost decipher nothing. And they have kind of like uh, weird scribbles, which is kind of like if you've played the game, similar to the um, astrological chart. And so it took them, I think, a couple of years to figure out that these astrologic that these are astrological charts that they were looking at, and that they were used to diagnose. Um, a patient's illness and also to come up with the treatment and so yeah in the game in Astrologaster you you take on the role of like a Simon Foreman and there are people coming to you you have a 
I think, 13 patients that are coming to you between five and seven times each. And you're trying to help them with their kind of like medical, personal and professional problems. And you do so by doing a reading of an astrological star chart and you're making choices uh, in this star chart that affect the storyline and have short-term and long-term consequences. Okay. So, well, at least they, the patients come back to you. So, it, obviously, Simon Form is doing something right, or they think he's doing something right. <laughs> and uh, um, Yeah, so... the, the, the real Simon Foreman was quite uh, popular in his time, and mm. he was quite well-regarded up until uh, shortly after his death, when he was implicated in... Uh, some history buffs might might have heard of it. Uh, it's called the the over the Overbury murder scandal, and he was basically, uh, yeah, after his death, implicated in having supplied poison to kill uh, to kill someone. Oh, that's yeah, that 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 would kind of dent your reputation, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't think I've ever heard of of this. I'll have to check check it out later. So he was implicated. So he did it on purpose. Is that is that correct? Uh, probably oh. not, but uh, so the the women, the ladies uh, who's uh, you know who committed this crime were were his clients, and they claimed that he had provided them with the poison. Okay, but obviously he was already dead, so he couldn't defend himself. <laughs> so, right, like, so. You know, so it could also be that he was just like a convenient scapegoat for these women. Of course, yeah. So you you choose someone who can't defend themselves. So yeah, this dead guy, yeah, no, he gave us the poison. We're innocent, Your Honor. <laughs> so, and then, so so you mentioned that in the game, you that you have people seeking advice for various problems, so personal, professional, medical problems. I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but can you give us any examples of what problems they might have? in the game that you have to try and resolve with astrology? <laughs> there's, so there's one client uh, by the name of Lancelot Moore. He falls in love quite easily and he will come to you with advice on kind of like, you know, how to win over uh, these women that he's in love with. And then you help him and eventually, you know, he gets the woman of his dreams, but then he comes back because something has happened and now he doesn't want her anymore. <laughs> and then, he, then you have to help him to break off, you know, the engagement. That's kind of like a, a personal and professional. There is, um, uh, so there's a lot of kind of like, um, you know, real uh, historic clients. So uh, uh, Lord, uh, Lord Robert Devereaux, uh, comes to you to kind of like ask about advice um, about kind of like defeating the Spanish Armada or intercepting, you know, Spanish treasure ships, uh, ways how he should be dealing with the Queen. Um, for medical ones, uh, we, there's, a, for example, a client called Nicholas Mack, and uh, he has all sorts of ailments. Um, you know, he always thinks he's dying. And uh, he wants kind of like reassurance uh, from you that that's not the case. So he's kind of like you know he's kind of like this person that reads something on the internet 
and then he's like, oh my god, I have this illness. I've read about it on the internet. It's clear, it's clear, it's clear to me, um, you know, that that I must be having this illness too. So we are trying to weave in a lot of kind of like modern stories, um, you know, into kind of like into the setting of the 16th, 17th century to show that actually a lot of the problems, yeah, they didn't know much about medicine back in the day, but a lot of the reasons and the problems, you know, that people came with to him are very similar to kind of like what's happening nowadays. Right. So you you have a sore throat, you go online, say what could it be, and then automatically you're dying. So, yes. <laughs> that, that's why I stopped going, you know, going on the internet for every time I have some ailment myself because every time I'm dying, it says, "Oh, you could be this. You, you have, you hurt your leg. Oh, it means that you'll have to have an amputation. Oh, okay, I'm not going to read the internet anymore." <laughs> so, that's um, Yeah. So now, now I also go to the doctor. You know, real, real doctor. So. <laughs> Um, who have better, uh, you know, better diagnosis and better medication than the internet provides. <laughs> and so, so then uh, I'm just reading as well that, uh, according again to the to the page to the Steam page, you can choose and the traders you can choose what to tell the clients, and this this affects the story, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you have you have you have different choices on what ailments to tell. The, um, the client that they have. So how does this work more or less in the game? Um, so if it's a if it's a medical question, then you are looking at a. Um, so the way that medical astrology worked back in the day, or also nowadays, is they work with something called a what's called a zodiac man. And so basically, um, each zodiac governs a certain part of the body. So Aries is the ruler of the head. Pisces is the ruler of the feet. And so in the game, let's say somebody came to uh, you will be presented with up to three different zodiacs. And uh, you can investigate this zodiac to see which planets are in the house. And then the game will tell you... Oh, okay. So this is uh, Scorpio, and I don't know the planet Mars is in Scorpio. So that probably means that your client has uh, syphilis, and then you will go to um, Aries, which is the ruler of the head, and there will be, for example, a Mercury in it, and Mercury has often something to do with kind of like uh, I think witchcraft. I hope I'm not misremembering that, and then it will say. Oh, the uh, the the patient has a kind of like a mental illness, um, and the cause of this mental illness is that uh, is witchcraft. And so, as a player, you you pick up, uh, you can either kind of like just pick what you think is you know the funniest to say to see what kind of like the results are, or you can kind of uh, think of okay, what are these symptoms that the patient presented with, and then kind of like try to figure out okay. That's the most astrologically correct <laughs> path. And then there's an element in the game to ask, um, you know, what is it that the client wants to hear? Because they don't always want to hear the truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me I'm okay. <laughs> so you're kind of like in equal parts. You're trying to read the story, the stars, and your client. Okay. And and does this affect the, 
the game later. So if you give one diagnosis to a client and then when they come back, uh, will they, you know, mention that you gave them this particular ailment? Yes, they will. Okay. So Simon, Simon Foreman is trying to get a medical license because the London medical establishment uh, has it out for him. And they're calling him into these, and this is in the game as it happened as in real life. They're calling him in front of the, um, you know, College of Physicians and they're testing him on his astrology knowledge. But they, it, it doesn't matter how well or badly he does, they always call him out as being a quack because they really, they really hated him. Right. And so um, Simon Foreman really badly needs to win a medical, you know, needs to get a medical license. And the way that the real Simon Foreman did this was uh, enough of his patients wrote recommendation letters on his behalf to the University of Cambridge. And eventually the University of Cambridge said, oh, you know, this man seems to know what he's doing. Why don't we give him like a crash course? And then he gets his medical license. So in the game, you're trying to get eight patients to write you a letter of recommendation to the University of Cambridge so that you can get your medical license and, uh, you know, prove the London medical establishment wrong. Okay, so, so you have this ultimate objective then to... to yes, so with each patient, license. you're kind of like trying to get them to write you this letter. But for each patient, it's a little bit different how you get them to write the letter, you know. Okay, so so that's how, you know, you have to kind of read the patients then. So as you mentioned, see what they want and see how... Mm -hmm. how so, so then do you, do you have choices then to for example, to help the patients or to win the medical license or some th things like that? Do they kind of coincide like that a little bit? Or is that kind of giving things away? <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time I would say yes, but then there's also kind of like long-term and short-term trade-offs. So sometimes um, in the short term, it can be good to say something, or, you know, let's say, but then in the long term, when they come back and they find out that what you said was actually a lie, there's going to be obviously a negative effect and the patient is going to be dissatisfied with you. So each patient has a satisfaction rating. And let's say you were just like a few points away from getting, you know, this, this recommendation letter, then it's probably okay to give an answer that will make them happy in the short term. Because that pushes you over this, you know, over the threshold to get the letter. Even right. though that turns out in the long term to be false. But if you were still way off of getting the letter, then you need to be more careful with what you say to them. Right. Okay. So you, so you really have the, the choices then, that all the choices affect the outcome of the game then. So that's... <laughs> and then... Uh, so, so you mentioned as well that uh, Simon Foreman, that he, he actually existed back in Shakespearean England. So uh, so what type of research did you do on, on Simon Foreman and on, the, and on the period? So uh, Lauren Cassell, um, the professor from the University of Cambridge, who has been studying Simon Foreman for the last 25 years, she and her team, they acted as consultants on the game. Uh, from the first, yeah, really from the very beginning. 
Um, wow. <laughs> they pro they provided us with a lot of cases that they thought were interesting, or you know like uh, they they told us which which patients um, he had really strong relationships with. Um, they read all of the scripts and pointed out mistakes to us. You know when if when we were using if we had like wrong kind of like hi historic facts in there or if we were using incorrect medical terms. They also provided us with a database of uh, kind of like illnesses, the names of illnesses back in the day and what the treatment would have been back in the day. So yeah, we did a, we did a lot of we did a lot of research, especially Catherine Neal who wrote the game did a lot of research. Uh, both of us reread, I think there's two or three books about Simon, you know, Simon's Foreman biography is actually quite an entertaining, they're quite entertaining to read. <laughs> I, I can um, imagine. Because, because, because he had quite, um, yeah, quite an eventful life. And then we did a lot of, obviously, a lot of research into the kind of like political circumstances um, of the time and try to, you know, for example, the gunpowder, the gunpowder plot, um, and try to interweave that with our patient storylines. Okay, so sounds like you did more research than a lot of Hollywood studios when they make movies based on, on historical events. <laughs> because because they, they just write, you know, oh, let's, let's just write what we want. But it sounds like you really went above and beyond to try and get things right or as, as right as possible, uh, considering the time period. So... Yeah, I think as right as possible is uh, <laughs> is, is, the right, is the right way to put it. Yeah, because it it was back in fifteen. You, ne you never, you never, you never, you never get it. You never get it. You know, a hundred percent right. Um, uh, you just you're just trying to get as close as you can. Right. Well, at least you won't have anyone saying, "Oh, but my great grandfather said that this actually happened." So. <laughs> and um and yeah and then with the with the, the graphics then, uh, you mentioned as well it's also pop, a pop-up and it, it also, you know, from, from the screenshots and the trailer that I've seen, it also looks beautiful, but it also looks different to the Tengami game. So were, were you trying to differentiate to Tengami or, or was that any, anything that you were deciding when you were coming up with the visual of the game? So the, uh, the art director for Tengami was... Um... Ryo Agaria, he's Japanese, and um, obviously he, uh, because he wanted it to be set in a Japanese kind of like landscape, be very inspired, you know, by Japanese paper, he brought like this, you know, this uh, Japanese uh, aesthetic and eye to Tengami. And for um, Astrologaster, um, Adam Clark was the art director. And with him, uh, we were looking a lot at, um, obviously for the costumes, kind of like what was the fashion at the time, the roughs. Um, but more so than looking at paper, I think we looked at a lot of kind of like embroidery patterns. And uh, you can see this, especially in um, a lot of the clients. Um, it, they, they do look, uh, the characters look like paper, but the embroidery patterns on them are actually uh, coming from kind of like um, uh, clothes, uh, you know, cloth mm -hmm. embroidery. And so I think 
you know, for every, like, you don't really have an art style as a studio. We are just trying for each game that we are making, trying to capture the, you know, the essence of that, of that game. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, Astrologaster ended up being a lot of kind of like, kind of like a lot of, still very stylized, a lot of blues, um, a little bit of orange accents. And then it's really about, you know, kind of like the character design and having them kind of like stand out in the scene. Right. Yeah. Also with, with Astrologaster, so Astrologaster, the pop-up book is like a theater set. So you look, it's almost like you're looking at, at a theater stage and every time you flip the page, it's a different kind of like set uh, on a theater stage. And the characters never actually uh, walk anywhere. They are always like standing in position and they do animate, but they're not walking. And with Tengami, obviously, we have a kind of like a world uh, that you can explore that you're moving through with your character. So also the way that I built the pop-ups um, is uh, is uh, quite different to what I did in Tengami. Okay. And what, since this was your second pop-up game, now even though you mentioned that it was quite different to Tengami, was it more or less challenging than Tengami to make? Did it, you know, did you think, okay, no, I, I, I got this now, so we can, uh, you know, we can go ahead, or, or was it still just as challenging? No, it wasn't. It wasn't challenging. In Astrologaster, the pop-up book is just like a nice, beautiful, you know, backdrop. And what it does well is because it's based on the case books of Simon Foreman. It's kind of like his case books coming alive as a pop-up book. So it's really just kind of like a, like a visual playfulness and it's not essential for the gameplay. Right. Whereas in Tengami, the flipping and folding of the pop-up book, you know, that's the core gameplay. Right, okay. And then in the, in the game Astrologaster, you also, there's also voice acting, you have full voice acting in this game, correct? Correct, yeah. And and it, it sounds great. It sounds very funny, at least in the in the trailer. And what so do you know? So what can you tell us about the voice actors? You know, how did you choose these specific voice actors for the characters? Um, I think we have twelve voice actors for fourteen characters, and um, we had a we were a really lucky, very fortunate. We had a fantastic cast. Um, of a lot of, I think, kind of like up-and-coming people. And uh, when the uh, so the idea to do voice acting came about when we met um, Natalie Winter, who plays Alice Black, and Richard Reed, who plays uh, Thomas Black and John Whitgift in the game. And we met them at Eurogamer Expo, I think, uh, in 2017. And they played uh, an older version of the game, and uh, they started, they, they talked to us afterwards um, how they kind of like both thought that it would really kind of like help to bring the comedy come through if the dialogue was acted. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after that, I kept in touch with them and we kept talking about it and kind of like, okay, how can we make this happen? And yeah, that's that's basically, that's basically how it came about. And uh, um, yeah, I think it was the right decision uh, because obviously the um, the English that we're using in the game is kind of like 
it's 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 not it's not very period correct, but it does sound old. Right. And there there are kind of like a lot of words in there that I think not everybody is that familiar with. And so having that being read out, I think helps a lot with the understanding of the dialogue, but it also really helps, you know, to do comic timing and to just make it funnier. Yes. Yeah, yes, no, it, it definitely helps um, with, you know, the, the voice acting, you know, the, the way they express it as well. And it, it certainly sounds very, very funny as well. And so, uh, so you mentioned as well that there are some characters that were different nationalities. And one of the trailers, I believe there's a character from Venice. Were the actors, were they all the one nationality or were they actually, you know, Italian and from the countries that the characters are from? Uh, no, everybody. Uh, every I think everybody's English. <laughs> okay, well they do a very good job from what I've heard. So. Uh, now then again, I'm not Italian, <laughs> so maybe an Italian will say, "Yeah, no, I can tell." But at least from what my to my ears, they they sound authentic. So, and then what what I loved as well when I saw the trailer, one thing I really enjoyed were the songs. That there was a song in the trailer. <laughs> That uh, and I believe that each character has a theme song. Uh, what can you tell us about them? Yes. Yeah, so um, the the characters when they come back to you, they can be quite a long time in between them coming to you. So each consultation or each patient has a kind of like a a, a verse and a song for each consultation. And the song's purpose is to kind of like is a it's a mix of kind of like do giving kind of like a commentary on this character, a commentary on the patient, a reminder of what has happened previously, and kind of like a little bit of a hint or a foreshadowing of what is about to happen. And uh, Catherine Neal, who is the narrative designer and writer of Astrologaster, she used to, as a hobby, sing uh, madrigals uh, in shopping malls and, wed and at weddings. And obviously, madrigals are kind of like the pop songs of the 17th century. And we saw that it was it would be like a really good way, and a really you know funny way. Like all of the songs are quite, uh, you know, they're they're really they're really funny, and they they get a little the you know as the patient storyline progresses, the songs get a little bit get a little crazier <laughs> and more intense as it goes along. And oh. yeah, that's uh, so Catherine wrote all of the lyrics, and then Andrea, who is a composer, he um, yeah he composed all of the songs, and we recorded the songs uh, over four sessions uh, here in London at Airedale with an amazing set of professional singers. Okay, yeah, again, to me it sounded professional, and as you mentioned, it was very funny. So as, as, <laughs> I'll see if I can play at least one, one of the trailers in, the, in the, the episode to give people a taste of what to expect. And, um, and yeah, and also I'm seeing that you, you won awards for, for this game already, so Writer's Choice Award and other awards as well. And I know some, some people might be a bit, you know, embarrassed or something, but what, what can you tell us about some of the awards that you've won for this game? Um, it's basically when we when we went to uh, trade shows, you know, there's always like mm -hmm. when you're doing shows, like there's some magazines that are giving out awards. Um, but it's not kind of like awards 
um, there's also kind of like you know like proper award ceremonies. So right. that's that's not that's not not yet. <laughs> They're kind of like smaller scale awards, and it's you know it's really it's a really it makes me really happy. Uh, yeah, sure. Appreciated yeah. Appreciated the game even before it came out. Yeah, so these were awards that that the game won before it came out, which is mm-hmm. impressive. So, well, we'll see at the, at the end of the year. You know, we'll see if uh, uh, you know to any game of the year awards. You never know. Uh, it certainly look uh, looks good anyway. And uh, so, then where can people find this game? Uh, Australia Guest is available on the App Store for iPhone and iPad. Uh, you can also buy it uh, on the Mac App Store or the Windows version on Steam or HIO. Okay, so a lot of choices there as well. So this game was uh, out, well, it's out now. It was released, I believe it said, it said the 9th of May 2019 on the PC at least. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and so I know that you, you've just released this game. <laughs> so, but do you have any plans on what you're going to work on next? Uh, I have a lot of ideas, but not a lot of money. So, right. <laughs> okay. So well, I'm kind of like trying to, and still trying to figure it out. And we are also still, you know, doing a little bit of support for um, Astrologaster and doing uh, some, you know, minor improvements here and there. Okay. Well, hopefully people can go out and buy this game now, and they can help you make your next game. So, um, do. You, so w- would you like to work in this period again? Would you, any possibility of a sequel or I, I don't know, or would you like another different type of game? Yeah, I, I think I would like to work in the period again because it's, it suits itself really well for comedy. You know, there's like a lot of stuff that you can look at. Obviously, you know, the Monty Python stuff, but then there's also Upstart Crow, which is, um, you know, currently on the telly. Mm. And uh, I think it's a it's a really great uh, comedy period. Right, yeah, because we, at, at least when I at least when you mentioned I think uh, the Blackadder and Monty Python that it it seems so so exaggerated, but they take it so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's that that's what I got from from the game as well. That they were like they weren't in on the joke that they were you know taking it seriously. But it was just so, so you know, kind of over the top, but very, very funny. So, so and it's a time period that we don't ha- have enough, I don't think, in in adventure games. So, where can people find out more about well, both these games, Tengami and Astrologaster? So the company website is nyamnyan.games, and then the website for Tengami is tengami.com, and for Astrologaster, it's just astrologaster.com. Okay, so you can find out more information about those games there. And where can people find you online if you know if they wanted to see any updates? The company account is on Twitter at Yum Yum Games. Uh, same on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm NYYJan on Twitter. Okay, and okay. Well, I think I've asked uh, if everything. I'm certainly really curious about these two games now as well and i can't wait to check them out and so then i'll let i can let you take us out then is there anything at all that you would like to say to the people listening or other developers or uh but you know people who bought a game or anything at all to to anybody uh yes thanks for listening uh, and if you play tengami as well i guess so thanks so much for playing my games yeah and of course leave a review as well <laughs> yes please leave a review yeah, they they are always very helpful. So, 
Okay, well, Jennifer, it's been a real, real pleasure. It's uh, been really enjoyable speaking to you, find out more about these uh, one-of-a-kind games. I, I don't say, can't say that very often these days, but definitely your games, in particular Tengami with the fold-up uh, or pop-up, it's uh, a definitely unique game and first of its kind, so I would encourage people to check it out as well. So thank you very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun talking to you. was my interview with Jennifer from Yam Yam Games. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you get a chance to check out her games Tengami and Astrologaster and I cannot wait to find out what she does next. So uh, that is it for this week's episode of Adventure Games Podcast. I will hopefully be back next week with Thomas. Hopefully we'll have resolved our technical issues because there are a number of games that we would like to review and talk about. Alright, so hopefully that episode will go up next week. And also, this time next week, I will be in Boston for the Narrowscope Convention. All things going well. And so if you are an adventure game developer, and if you will be at the Narrowscope Conference, and you would like to speak, you'd like to do an interview, you'd like to appear on this podcast, then please get in touch. You can contact me either through social media or through the contact me page on the Adventure Games Podcast website, or you can contact me there. I'm the nerdy guy with glasses, but I have an Irish accent, so it shouldn't be too hard to find in Boston. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so yeah, please let me know if you'd like to speak. I love speaking to Adventure Game developers and just anyone in general. And I will hopefully be doing a report on the conference itself, and we'll see how that goes. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled. So until next week, then, have a good week, everyone. Take care. Bye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time 
थैंक यू